Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. As you can see, we have some pretty good background music for our little walk. I'm getting to upset about something. Go figure. And one puppy dog so far. Pretty overcast, but not super hot yet, although it's coming rapidly. And fruit trees are budding out pretty good. So, at any rate, thank you all for giving me a little bit of your time. I I truly know, (laughs) because I do, I know that you all have other things on your list of to-do list chores. And for those of you all that continue to tell other people about the podcast and share it in some form or fashion, thank you. It continues to do well. And so I'm very grateful for that and humbled by it. We're going to try and get back on track here a little bit, which I guess it wasn't really off track last episode to talk about marriage. But this is the episode that I had intended to do earlier. So we're going to gonna visit with Churchill a little bit. Uh, this is from a Manchester biography, a trilogy, in the second volume in it. And I wanted to read y'all a little bit from it because... I feel like it is so pertinent to what's going on today in America. So this is a few paragraphs, and we'll just kind of stop every once in a while. Churchill was alarmed. In the House of Commons, he was the League of Nations chief supporter. But the League now faced a trembling future. He became preoccupied with national security. Unilateral disarmament would be madness, he told the president, or the parliament, excuse me. The by-election also distressed Stanley Baldwin, leader of the Conservative Party, but his response was very different. To him, the loss of safe seats was a grave matter. If the voters wanted disarmament, he decided that was what he would give them. Two things here. One, the left constantly calls for disarmament, as if if we disarm... If we make ourselves weaker, that's going to make our enemies not feel threatened by us and therefore not attack us. It's never worked, folks, ever. In the entirety of history, from bullies on a playground to the Nazis and Stalinists, communists, uh, ever, you cannot make yourself less of a target by making yourself weaker. That's... If you did that in the Marine Corps, you would not have a job for very long, and you wouldn't be alive for very long either. It's ludicrous. And it if you really want to get down to it, in a Christian republic, which we are, we have a responsibility because God told us to care for the widows and the orphans. Unilateral disarmament, both in our own nation and in nations across the world, is the opposite of caring for widows and orphans. You make them more vulnerable to evil men and evil women, for that matter. 
And then the second thing here, the, the just, the, I don't even know. There's no kind way to say this. The cowardice, the lack of character when the, the response of elected officials is to completely change their stance in order to gain seats in elections. We've got a couple pretty good examples right now going on. When you elect people because you think, okay, well, the means or the ends justify the means, you, you are becoming exactly like the left. And that is, well, we're going to stand for whatever random value gets us the most votes, appeases the most people. It doesn't work, folks. It never works. Kids know this. It's just the adults somehow that we seem to imagine that the rules change. Until now, British communists had all been members of the working class or shabby young men wearing steel-rimmed glasses who mouthed the weary party line in Hyde Park, responding to questions with incomprehensible jargon and quotations from Marx, Engels, and Lenin. In the early 1930s, communism became respectable, then fashionable, then a distinction among intellectuals and university undergraduates. Among the Communist Party of Great Britain, the CPGB, members were W.H. Auden, Christopher Isherwood, and Stephen Spencer. Oxford's October Club, a CPGB cell, had 300 dues-paying students. Cambridge started later, but soon one of every five Cambridge men had signed on, among them one H.A.R quote, Kim, unquote, Philby. Where does communism come from, folks, again? 1930s in Great Britain, the threat was from academics. Again, today, threat comes from our universities, our education. You see this in the stories. There was one this week about a teacher. Cannot remember the state right now. You can look up the story pretty quickly. Happened within the last few days. Explaining in a Zoom call to, I believe, kindergartners, maybe first graders, that when a baby was born, the doctors did the best they could to guess their gender, but often they were wrong. No, the doctor's not wrong. If you believe that they are, then you suffer from a mental disorder. You either have XY chromosomes with or two X's, with few exceptions, which are chromosome disorders. There's no guessing. It doesn't change, right? But this is the same kind of collectivist mentality socialism and communism pushed. And they pushed it in the 1930s. We see this. We're reading through this. This is one of the reasons. And it starts, folks. Again, I've said this multiple times. I think we're past the ballot box. I hope we're not. But I really do think we are. Either way, though. This this war for the soul of our nation is going to be won in education and culture. And if we don't turn back to God as a nation, individually and as a nation, individually first and as a nation second, it's over. Those who dismiss this as an example of British eccentricity or of the typical undergraduate 
irresponsibility were silenced by news from the United States, the world's most affluent nation. Ragged mobs of the homeless and penniless were occupying U.S. public buildings, including one state house, and 25,000 war veterans from World War I arriving in Washington with their families to plead for relief were routed with tear gas and bayonets. American recruits to the party included John Doffs Passos, Sherwood Anderson, Erskine Caldwell, and Edmund Wilson, who called Russia the top, the moral top of the world where the light never really goes out. Interesting thing here to me was we've survived this before, perhaps not on the scale that we're at today, but it is survivable. But there's no coexistence with it. You can't have a people that support communism and the people that don't and have them coexist, which really, I was going to get to this quote in a little bit, but I'll go ahead and read it. This is by Anne Rand, Anne Rand who I believe wrote Atlas Shrugged, but I'm not 100% sure about this, but it's a quote that I've latched onto for years. Fascism, Nazism, communism, and socialism are all only superficial variations of the same monstrous theme, collectivism. Throw leftism in there, folks. It's all the same. Collectivism, this evil mentality, it's all the same. It doesn't change, uh, and there's nothing good about it. And, and that's why there's no coexistence there. You cannot have oil and water blend, right? You, you cannot have good and evil coexist and reconcile. One's going to have to give way to the other, and that's exactly where we're at here today. That's where we were at in the Civil War. It's where we were at in the Revolutionary War. It's where we were at in World War One and Two. It's where we're at today. Every generation cherishes illusions which baffle its successors, who passionately defend their own. But intellectuals are expected to view the world with healthy skepticism. Those who vi visited the Soviet Union in the starkest years of the Depression were so easily deceived, so eager to accept the flimsiest evidence, so determined to believe the most transparent misrepresentations, that one feels that some of the scorn directed nowadays at the appeasers of Nazi Germany should be reserved for men who ought to have known better. Bernard Brock asked Lincoln Steffens, so you've been over into Russia? And Steffens replied, I have been over into the future, and it works. Steffens had seen what Stalin wanted him to see. On a rigged tour, the kind general's stage for visiting politicians. Everything paraded by him had worked, but he had not seen into the future or even the present. As one of the most celebrated journalists of his time, Steffens should have investigated his host's policy of collectivism and its ghastly results. Only a willing dupe could say of such a holocaust that it worked. If it did, so did Auschwitz. Auschwitz. I'm pronouncing that wrong, but y'all get the idea. And if you don't, it's uh, one of the concentration camps of the Nazis for the Jews in World War II. There's a lot here, folks, uh, and I'm not going to stop and break down every piece. But the bottom line is one of the questions that has always baffled me, uh, and you need an answer to it, 
in the Marine Corps, one of the things they always taught us is know your enemy. Uh, I'm sure they teach that in other military too, but that's where I come from, so that's what I reference. When you look at the people in the United States today that support the left, and I'm talking about our neighbors, friends, and family. I'm not talking about national politicians, cultural leaders. I'm talking about local, everyday citizens. If they have half a brain, folks, and, and I, don't, I don't even mean that snarkily at all. If they've got intelligence, then you're really kind of left in a dilemma. So if you're intelligent enough to read through history and see that socialism, communism has failed, which is really just different variations, as, as Rand said, of leftism, it's just a different variation. If you see that it's failed every time and that it's slaughtered tens of millions of people over the course of the last century, and yet you continue to support it, what other options besides gross ignorance, right? Or as Manchester said here, only a willing dupe or malevolence, evil, vileness. Not on the national level again, folks. This is a real hard conversation. This is a conversation we don't want to have today at all. But on the local level, what are your other options? Your cousin down the road, your aunt, your uncle, mother, father, brother, sister, child that's gone off to academia and come back spouting this nonsense. What other option do you see? And, and how do you square that? How, do you, how can you possibly, outside of malevolence, square an intelligent person that chooses to support the evils of the left today? Rejection of God from our institutions when obviously we were found as a Christian nation. Slaughtering millions and millions of babies via abortion. The LGBTQ movement and feminism which have destroyed marriages and families and are in the process right now of destroying the lives of children. Illegal immigration which is flooding our country with criminals and terrorists and people that don't have any interest in, in donating to society but in seeing what they can take from it, taking from, regardless of what their opinion is folks, it doesn't matter, their actions take representation and resources away from law-abiding citizens. They exploit women and children. They hurt our poor and needy, uh, pushing critical race theory, revisionist history, and bigotry via education, socialism, communism, all these core values of the left. How can you possibly look at history, be intelligent, and continue to support those evils? Again, local level, everyday citizens, not talking about national leaders. We get back into this biography. Actually, the moral top of Edmund Wilson's world, where the light never really went out, had entered a period of murk, which masked monstrous crimes. Crimes which were suspected but not acknowledged until Nikita Khrushchev revealed them in 1957. All committed in the name of the people they were destroying. Really ought to finish the rest of this paragraph, folks, but that's such a vital point that I can't just roll past it. Everything you hear today from the left is, well, it's for the people. It's for the betterment of the people. We're fighting racism for the people. We're fighting oppression for the people. We're fighting for equal rights for the people. We're fighting 
It doesn't matter what it is. It's always about the people. Yet, who do they hurt the most? You convince a young kid that they're transgender and you claim that you're defending and supporting them. No, you're hurting them. You're destroying their life. You claim that feminism, you're promoting women and women's rights and you're making their lives better. Many surveys today talking about women. Are you happier now than you were 40, 50 years ago? No. Feminism doesn't help. It's hurt. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. Right? LGBTQ across the board. Abortion. Good Lord. You think that those aborted babies, you think their life is better now? Great quote by Reagan. I can't pull the whole thing right now, but it's something along the lines of, I've noticed that all the people that are for abortion have been born. I mean, that's hypocrisy and double standards to the extreme. The point is, it's always claimed that that the left always claims, hey, we're helping people. Historically, people that stand for these values. We're talking about 1930s Britain right now, right? Or, Or I'm sorry, Russia under Stalin. 30s, 40s. Oh, we're helping the people. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's a lie. And the problem is, is the everyday citizen buys into it. Again, the question becomes, why? And we need to know, but at some point, folks, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. At some point, if we're going to protect the widow and the orphan, if we're going to protect the poor and needy, if we're going to help our Christian republic, which it is, survive, enemy is still the enemy regardless of the reason. The catastrophe had begun with Lenin's death in 1924. The strong, or sorry, excuse me, Churchill, his arch enemy, nevertheless recognized Lenin's greatness. The strong illuminate that guided him was cut off at the moment when he had turned resolutely for home. The Russian people were left floundering in the bog. Their worst misfortune was his birth, their next worst, his death. Lenin had left a vague political testament which recommended that Joseph Stalin, then Secretary General of the Communist Party's Central Committee, be dismissed. Stalin suppressed this document and, in his role as Secretary General, joined two accomplices in a ruling triumvirate which expelled Stalin's chief rival, Leon Trotsky. Eventually, Stalin would order the murders of his accomplices and Trotsky. Stalin consolidated his position. As master of Kremlin, and in 1932, the Soviet Union was in the grip of a reign of terror which would reach its peak in the great purges of 1934 to 1938. To the world, however, Stalin insisted that his rule was benign. In the early summer of 1932, interviewed by the German biographer Emil Ledwig, he denied that he was a dictator, denied that he reigned by fear, and declared that the overwhelming majority, quote-unquote, of the laboring population in the USSR was behind him. Their support, he said, accounted for the ability of the Soviet power, not any so-called policy of terrorism. At that time, no Russian translation of Mein Kemp existed. If I said that right, that's the book written by Hitler. But in this exchange, Stalin had instinctively followed a principle set down in Adolf Hitler's 10th chapter. The great masses of the people will more easily fall victims to the big lie than to a small one. Everything the Russian dictator had told Ludwig, Ludwig, I'm sorry, I'm struggling this afternoon, folks, I apologize, 
was the exact opposite of the truth. Soviet peasants were already in the toils of a misery far more wretched than anything known under the czars. Abandoning Lenin's managed economy with its quasi-capitalistic incentives, Stalin had launched a series of five-year plans moving 25 million farmers from their lands into collectives. Troops and secret police rounded up protesters and murdered, exiled, or imprisoned them in an expanding net of concentration camps which systematically worked them to death. Not that there's not enough here, folks, but it gets better and very poignant. Nevertheless, collectivism failed. The Ukrainians were devastated by famine. Stalin rejected their appeal for help and actually exported grain while 10 million of them starved to death. The left is the modern version of communist, without doubt, folks. As Rand said, it's just a different shade of evil. It's different, different shade of collectivism, same evil. And it's, there's no possible way to coexist or reconcile with people that stand for it. Talking about both the national level and our local level in our communities, folks, there's absolutely no way to coexist and reconcile with it. And, and our choice is to either, as, as the people here that we're reading about in the 1920s, 30s, after the Bolshevik Revolution, the Soviets, our choice is to follow in their footsteps and fall under a reign of terror and oppression, which will happen again, 100% folks, in some form or fashion, or to stop them. Those are the two choices. That's it. Uh, It's not a fun conversation. It's not a conversation anybody wants to have today, but it's a conversation we're going to have it one way or the other, folks. It's kind of like my pastor said a few years ago, you can either draw close to God on your own or God can put a storm in your life that forces you to draw close to him. Your choice, our choice. Fascinating little bit here, folks. I I hope it gave you some insight into what exactly is going on. It's the same things today, folks. It really is. You can go back and listen to some of these comments by Manchester. This is a fascinating biography, by the way, uh, if if you're into those kind of things. And if not, this excerpt at least gave you a little clue, a little insight. God bless y'all. God bless your families. Thank y'all so much for joining me here. Y'all remember Patrick Henry, Sphere of Influence. Wherever you are, folks, whatever part of the day it is, Wherever you get an opportunity, talk to somebody. Even if it's just a little bit, spread the truth. Something. We have got to start to do something actionable so that we don't have to look at our grandchildren or the ghosts of our children one day come back to haunt us saying, if only you had tried a little harder, I'd still be here. I'd still be alive. Like that paper in 3rd Marine Regiment in Hawaii. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it. God bless you and your families again and America.